with that, we welcome you back into the Thursday edition of OGP One Giant Podcast, where as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, your host, covering the Giants and the Brooklyn Nets for the Locked On Nets podcast, joined by the generational season ticket holder on the uh, on the day of the start of the NFL season, the healthy, wealthy, and wise, Mr. Andrew McAvitz. Yeah, fired up, fired up about football being back, fired up about Sunday and getting, getting to the stadium, you know, talking menus, talking, at, you know, you know, with the new technology, Adam, especially with this four o'clock game for the Giants, we're also trying to figure out, like, do we bring out a TV and try to get some red zone going on for the one o'clock right. games? Because, you know, you know, being in the parking lot, you don't want to be sitting there on your phone scrolling through. You'd rather be having, you know, Chris Hansen tell you when, you know, people are scoring touchdowns on the one o'clock ticket. I'm excited, man. What you really need, yeah, I mean, this, watch out for social media here because Andy, last year, obviously, with everything that went on with COVID-19 and no players and fans and sands and all that kind of stuff, we didn't get a chance for this. But this year, we can get some real, you know, beautiful setup images over on the social for what Andy Mack is, is just enjoying out there in East Rutherford come game day. And for that reason, it is going to be game day for the New York Football Giants, and they will be taking on the Denver Broncos in week one. What do we, <laughs> we did the season preview. We've talked about expectations, but now it's about the week to week and the specific matchups that we're going to face. The Denver Broncos are an interesting team because five and 11 record last year. Okay. They had Drew Locke under center and now it looks like they maybe turned the page on him. They bring in Teddy Bridgewater. It's a different version of that team, but on paper, you kind of feel like they're in a somewhat similar boat to the Giants in that maybe a disappointing year relative to what you expected and an opportunity to kind of refresh and renew yourself. Yeah. I mean, anytime you change the quarterback out for a team, obviously it's going to, the team is going to feel a little bit different or, or yeah. more, di more different than potentially, you know, swapping out a couple of wide receivers or a kicker or something like that. You know, when the, when the guy who's touching the ball virtually every play is, is someone new in town, it, it changes things. And, you know, they, they moved on from drew lock for now. Teddy Bridgewater, I believe, is the safer option. I think, mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show about how both of us actually wished Drew Locke won the job um, because, you know, more chaos and more turn, turnovers uh, might be a better situation for us because we kind of know what Teddy Bridgewater is as a quarterback. He's a guy that's not really going to stretch the field vertically. He's not going to make the biggest mistake in the big clutch situations but he's also not going to, he's not going to wow you. There's not going to be those crazy throws that you see a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or someone like that be able to throw that. You're like, that's amazing. But Teddy Bridgewater is consistent. He'll pick up first downs. He'll methodically help the team move the ball down the field. And, and just having someone like that with the type of defense that Denver has had historically means that the giants are, are going to be in for a challenge. Teddy Bridgewater isn't going to just give the game away to the giants. Yeah, it's something along the lines where, I mean, from a Denver standpoint, you say just let's have consistency, right? It doesn't matter about how high the highs can be. It's about how low the lows got last year at times. Even look inside the division, you think about Washington, even though I think it's a, a wider margin maybe with a Ryan Fitzpatrick, but come from last year and where they were in their quarterback situation, they're like, hey, let's just get a little bit more stable and more predictable at this position, at least on paper, because it gives us a better chance to win more close games or eliminate some of those mistakes. And that's what I think from a Denver Broncos standpoint, you know, after the Peyton Manning little run there, they basically had just this total carousel of quarterback. They can't seem to find the right piece. And it, it really felt like bringing in Teddy Bridgewater was saying, 
we got to get stable here. Like we just need to know that this guy can come in and play every week and we'll see what the growth is there. And we'll see, you know, I have my reservations about what the future is for Drew Locke. Now, once you you lose your starting job after having it, not a lot of quarterbacks come back from that, but, but time will tell in that regard. We know what our concerns are, the myriad of them. But when we look at this matchup, let's start off on the offensive side for the New York football giants. What is a matchup? I'll give you the the juicy one. What's the one that you like for the New York football Giants? Something you think that they can expose when you look over at that Denver Broncos defense? Oh, well, I mean, that's tough because the Denver Broncos are, are, are good. <laughs> or, 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 by the way, or by the way, go the other way and you can trend what's going to be the difficult one because I'll, I'll try to find a silver lining if I need to. <laughs> no, I well, I mean, so the, the Denver Broncos have the types of explosive players at every level. And that I think is the bigger concern for the giants is that um, I don't necessarily think that you look on, you know, on the offense versus defensive side of the ball and say, wow, they're in a really good spot going up against Justin Simmons, the free safety from the Denver Broncos, who's an all pro all world type of guy. You know, you have, you know, at the linebacker position, you've got Von Miller who's been there for forever and at one of the you know linebacking positions and and someone that's certainly going to try to get to the quarterback is Bradley Chubb. So you you feel like the Broncos have three different different levels in which, you know, you're expecting them to perform pretty admirably. Um you know, Ronald Darby is 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 kind of the secondary cornerback that the, that the Broncos are using. I kind of look at that as the matchup that I think the, the that the Giants may be able to exploit. So if he's on the outside playing against Darius Slayton, I could see that as an opportunity for the Giants to maybe get one-on-one coverage because you know that you know with Saquon Barkley in the backfield once again, and you know you have Kyle Fuller on the other side. I don't know. The cornerback position feels to me like you know if Daniel Jones can get time, which is a big if. A guy like Darius Slayton has the ability to potentially get down the field and make a couple of big plays for the Giants. Yeah, and I think this is that that piece where you say a fifth-round pick that's come along nicely for the Giants over the last couple of seasons, but as you come into this year, you say with the addition of Kenny Galladay, you talk about the the Kyle Rudolph piece, the Kadarius Toney piece, getting Sterling Shepard back into a more comfortable role. You should be getting more favorable matchups on the outside for Darius Slayton, and I, I wouldn't hesitate to throw Sterling Shepard kind of into that mix of favorable matchups, right? It's kind of like whoever the number one isn't on needs to have a higher level of success in those matchups. I'll go on the uh, negative side of it. And and we'll say that the offensive line, obviously against the pass rush attack for the Denver Broncos, you highlighted some of the players there on the defensive side for them. You know, when, when you talk about having a Von Miller and you think about also having not just the, the, the kind of the, the, the downfall, of having some solid or trickle down effect, I should say of having some solid cornerback play potentially means that you need more time to have these routes develop. And it allows what the strength is with Bradley Chubb and these other weapons on the front there for Denver to get to Daniel Jones, to force him out of the pocket, to get him on the run and potentially force mistakes. I, you know, I hate to go, kind of low-hanging fruit and say it, but it's going to come down to Nate Solder is going to be in the starting spot at the right tackle. I'll even go even more specific and say, I know we could look at Andrew Thomas. I'll say, how does Nate Solder look on that right side? Because you're putting him in there ahead of Matt Pert. And if he can play to a level of consistency, then maybe that buys enough time. And maybe that's just what the Giants need there. But I'm going to be watching... wholeheartedly on this offensive line and and just listen you're going to get beat we know it's going to happen it's a very solid defensive front but you just have to be able to hold up 
often enough to hit some of those big plays, give some of those opportunities off of the run game to have success. It's going to be about keep them off balance, right? And it's all going to start in the offensive line. On a positive note on the offensive side too, uh, you mentioned the, the pass rushing, Adam. I got one more thing. Keep an eye out. Bradley Chubb is someone's health to keep an eye on for Sunday and whether or yeah. not he's going to play. You know, yesterday he did not practice, did not participate at all uh, because of an ankle injury. Usually, you know, these guys get in limited reps or it's not a big deal. This seems like it's something just to keep an eye on. If they don't have Chubb in the lineup, that would be a huge coup for, for the offensive line of the Giants. Probably would benefit uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, on that offensive side, just even more not having a, such an athletic guy, you know, coming right at him and, and potentially taking him down in the backfield. Yeah, lean into it, right? Lean into the power running game, really establish that first and foremost, and then allow Daniel Jones potentially to play off of uh, play action, give him some looks there. Injury concerns on the offensive side, certainly for the Giants. So it's it's this, it's this give and take of what weapons are we going to have? Are we going to be at full complement tight end position being a big one right now as we uh, approach the matchup on Sunday? Flip it over to the defensive side, though, then. Where are, for you, most favorable matchups, you know, the most difficult matchups, Go, Give me your hard one. What do you think is going to be the difficulty for the New York football Giants in defending against a not necessarily flashy, but certainly competent quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater? So I think you start with Teddy Bridgewater and, and you think about the challenge of us not having a bona fide pass rush against a guy that likes to play it cautious and take the safe yeah. completion. If we're not going to be getting pressure on Teddy Bridgewater and we're not going to speed anything up, and he's not a guy that's generally prone to making mistakes, that's not the best situation for us. And, you know, some people may may scoff at it and say, oh, is Teddy Bridgewater that much better than Drew Locke? I mean, Drew Locke completed like 50, well, what, 57% of his passes, whereas someone like Teddy Bridgewater completed 69% of his passes. So Teddy Bridgewater was 70%. He was getting the ball out. He had a significantly 20-something points higher passer rating then Drew Locke did. This is a significant upgrade over, over a team last year that failed to really get in the end zone as much as they wanted to. So for me, the, the, the tough sledding for the Giants is going to be, how do we make sure that Teddy Bridgewater doesn't get into this rhythm and consistently completes these 8, 9, 10-yard passes to keep moving the chains down the field? Yeah, it's interesting because I'll start with the strength that I think and the way that you, you make it a little bit easier defending against Teddy Bridgewater and some of that consistency that he offers. And that's going to be the, the defensive front, the inside of that defensive front against the running game for the Denver Broncos, right? Because I think this is the way when you have a, a consistent but not necessarily going to beat you on his own kind of quarterback on the other side of the field, you say take away something. Take away the running game, force them to get into passing downs, force them into second and third and longs, and then allow the strength of your defense in that secondary to say, yeah, we can go man to man on you here. We can flash some zone looks at you. We can maybe even bring some pressure from some of our secondary players and really make it difficult for you to have to drop back and quickly make a decision to get the ball out of your hand. So I look on the, that, on that front there and I say, Leonard Williams, I say, Dexter Lawrence, right? I say, Danny Shelton, big boy. When you get your chance in there, Austin Johnson, the, the pressure piece is its own element up front, but anytime that they run that ball, you better be shutting it down because if they start gashing you in the run game, now all of a sudden the secondary piece getting pressure becomes a little bit of a, okay, now this is even more of a glaring issue for us if we can't stymie the run game to start. So it starts up front there, and then obviously you throw in the supporting roles like a Reggie Ragland, a Blake Martinez, right? Do your jobs, 
cover your lane assignments and really shut that down early to force Denver to need to lean more heavily into the passing side. Yeah, because when you talk about the passing game, while while Teddy Bridgewater is uh, you know a high completion percentage guy, he's not going to move move it down the field with his yards per attempt. You know, the Giants secondary is one of their strongest units. We we've talked about this at length. When you look at um, you know, Adoree Jackson is back jogging and potentially going to be available for this game. Better do more than jogging on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to need to jog more, more than jog on Sunday to be able to handle the wide receivers of Denver who are very, very talented. You look at Jerry Judy, you look at Cortland Sutton, you look at KJ Hamler, they they've got weapons to be able to deploy. And so the idea of if Adoree Jackson is out there and James Bradbury is out there and we can, like isolate them a little bit more man to man and not have to bring some of our, our safeties in to protect them. That allows guys like Xavier McKinney and your bill peppers to get after Teddy Bridgewater and rush the quarterback. And so to your point, you're, you're spot on Adam. It's if we could stop the run game and then we could start having Jabril peppers creep up in the box and, and, and actually apply pre- pressure to Teddy Bridgewater. I like our matchups of Bradbury against Jerry Judy and a Dory Jackson, uh, you know, against Cortland Sutton. I, I think that that's a pretty net neutral for the Giants. So if we can, you know, ratchet it up for, for Teddy Bridgewater and slow down that run game with the defensive line. I think that's the key to stopping them. You know, and it's funny too, because one of the things I'll talk in terms of a matchup that you want to keep an eye on as well, a little bit dinged up in the off season, but Noah Fant, the tight end for Denver, right? And it, and it really ties into the back end of this, of this defensive unit. You want to be able to maybe flash a Peppers or a Xavier McKinney, a Logan Ryan, a, a, a Julian Love, right? And see, bring some different looks and confuse the quarterback a little bit. But also, if you're going to do that and you want to use that and you trust your matchups on the outside, now you start to get into the linebacking room and, and you start to wonder, okay, we, we mentioned Carter Coughlin having some success during training camp and in the preseason games. Who's going to pick up that matchup? Big play by Blake Martinez in, in the Patriots game, getting an interception downfield. That's the type of matchup that, again, alleviates pressure for an offense. You're doing so well on the outside, the middle of the field. How are you going to control that while still being able to flash some pressure towards Bridgewater? So, you know, it's kind of this it's this tiered, it's this tiered system for the Giants. Shut down the run first. Force them into passing downs. When they look for those safety valve throws to tight ends, make sure that you're there in coverage and mitigate them until you get to this point where now you get to really unleash the full the full spectrum of your arsenal that I think can be very scary. And this is what, it, it, week one, this is what's very interesting about the Giants' defense. It, it's kind of like you need to check sequences in order to, to fully reach your potential on a game-to-game basis. If some elements aren't going right early, it makes it harder to lean into some of the best areas you have. Yeah. One other note uh, about this is also um, you, you look at the 2020 Broncos and their turnover differential was negative 16. So That's they nice. turned the ball over almost one, you know, one more additional time per game than their opponent did. That's huge. The problem is that was with Drew Lockett quarterback, right? Yeah. The, the time of possession, they trailed in time of possession with Drew Locke. Now you switch it over to Teddy Bridgewater. Even though the Carolina Panthers were not the best team record-wise, they had a positive turnover differential. Mm-hmm. They had a positive time of possession. They they Eight of their losses were one-score games. So Teddy Bridgewater was in a lot of these games, which is the concerning thing for Giant fans is that, you know, do, is, is it more the team around Drew Locke that was causing these turnovers? Wasn't get set separation. The rushing game wasn't wasn't doing very good with with Phil Lindsay, or it Drew Locke was the was the catalyst. I think that's going to be one of the bigger you know things and and matchups to think about in this is what is the impact of someone like Bridgewater do 
on what this team was a year ago. Yeah, and it's funny too because you go back and look at it: sixteen up, fifteen down for Bridgewater. Uh, sorry for uh, Drew Locke last year. Bridgewater fifteen up, eleven down. So you know that disparity isn't so far apart there. I just flashed over and saw Melvin Gordon with four fumbles last season, right? So some of this comes into attacking mentality, able to strip a quarterback or a running back potentially. Uh, but that turnover battle is interesting. And remember. For whatever the Giants defense was last year, they started to do a nice job getting turnovers and winning that battle. And I think when you're a team that's going to play in the margins in terms of wins or losses, that win the turnover battle against the Broncos, more likely to win. Lose it, boy, that's going to be a heavy lift to overcome. And we've always, of course, highlighted uh, the, the concerns around Daniel Jones and what could happen for him. We kind of gloss over that a little bit. I'd say key to key to victory would be don't turn the ball over, Daniel. That, that That's probably, you know, phase number one. So we'll see how it plays out. I This is the kind of game, it's funny to start the season with a matchup that I think is somewhat, even. you know, it's, it feels even on both sides. Both teams can lean into certain strengths. Both teams have weapons offensively. It's just a matter of, Will you be afforded the ability to utilize them and really lean to some of that talent that you have there? I think uh, at this stage of the game, as they like to say, Andy, we, we start to look at that line coming into MetLife Stadium for the Denver Broncos and where the over-under is set. We're going to dance in the uh, the betting waters and fantasy waters over on Sunday morning on YouTube. Be sure to check that out. But we do want to give where we're coming into this game and ultimately our predictions, my friend. Hit me with the, uh, with the line here. So the line... Uh has changed since the Broncos have announced who their starting quarterback is. So our uh, sneaky suspicions that we'd rather be playing Drew Locke rather than Teddy Bridgewater. Also Vegas, true. Vegas agrees. Yeah. Vegas agrees and says, yes, the Giants would much rather play Drew Locke. Uh, the line has moved a point and a half since they've done that. And most betting sites have the Giants getting three points at home against the, Bron- uh, against the nice Broncos, <laughs> three points and, and the, over, and the over under at 42 and a half. And, you know, the, the weather looks like it's going to be a beautiful day at, at MetLife Stadium, so that's not really an issue. Do either of those numbers, you know, pop out at you right away that that you, you feel strongly about? Oh, I mean, listen, the uh, the uh, the the line really hurts. I mean, it just stings from an emotional standpoint because that means that, you know. <laughs> You're like, as a fan, how is this happening, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like you should be you, – you get three points when you're at home. So, you know, that's supposed to be the opposing team gets the points. Excuse me. So already that means the Giants on a neutral site. You're even more of a deficit. If you were on the road, you'd be getting six points potentially on the road in Denver. And this exact type of scenario. So that jumps out to me just as not all that shocking, because I don't think a lot of people outside of Giants fans or the organization are are overly confident in the season coming in. That's okay. The 42 and a half number is interesting to me, because when we think about where this game can go, it's hard because I want the offense to do well and be successful. And yet I'm a little bit torn about if I think if I was going to take the over or under, would I be more confident if they went over the 42 and a half or would I be more confident underneath the number? I mean, let's, we can hit our predictions here because it plays directly into it. Do you see this going over or under and how does it impact the way you think this game is going to go? Yeah, you know, after watching the the Patriots game, I thought to myself, man, this thing is going way under, especially with how our defense is and how the Denver defense is. I've walked that back a little bit, just, you know, thinking about Teddy Bridgewater being in there. The Giants made some trades, uh, you know, right around roster cut time. They've acquired some different people. So the team looks a little bit different than when I was really, really scared about how low this, this total could go. But I'm still on the under on this one, Adam. I, I see this being a little bit more of a low-scoring game. A, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Giants' defense 
is a little bit of a bend don't break mentality because they don't have those pass rushers that are going to blow things up and, and put mm-hmm. them in third and long. I think it's going to be, you know, you're going to see a couple of sustained drives by the Broncos, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get all the way down the field and put the ball in the end zone. So to me, that screams more field goals and touchdowns. And anytime that happens, you know, you're looking at an under as opposed to an over. Yeah. And it's funny. I have my path to victory, I think, but you know, again, 42 and a half. Well, that's, that, that can be 21, 20. It can be 21, 17, right? You know, you can be right in t- inside that type of area. And when you start to talk about maybe more field goals than touchdowns, that's where there can be a lot of drives to your point that just don't quite get punched across and you still have success with it. So, I mean, with that being the case, when you look at this game, you're obviously going to take the under, I'm going to take the under, uh, I would say as well. Put your money where your mouth is, friend. What's your prediction? Remember, just coming into this season preview, Andy only has the Giants getting seven wins this year. Will Sunday be one of those seven? It better be. Uh, because <laughs> Otherwise, I have to change it to six. This is, yeah, this is Or else this is going to be a long season, Adam. I mean, I, I give the Giants seven wins. Remember, in that in that season-long outlook, they have to go to Tampa Bay. They have to go to Kansas City. They have to you know play the Bears in, in the freezing cold of Soldier, Soldier Field. There, there's a lot of things that could happen ac- yeah. ac- you know, across the season. But we're talking about a 5-11 and 11 Broncos team that has to travel to New York and play against a Giants team that has a whole new host of offensive weapons. And for me, I, I've talked about it all offseason. I feel like this is the litmus test. This is the benchmark for the season. If a sub-500 team comes into the, into the Meadowlands and beats the Giants, then it's a very difficult scenario to see the Giants making the playoffs or making noise in the NFC East. That's just the way I look at it. And I refuse to have doom and gloom this early on in the season when we haven't seen this whole host of new offensive weapons at Daniel Jones' disposal. I know the offensive line has its challenges, but we've yet to see you know, having Kenny Galladay out there, what what could what could that mean for Daniel Jones getting the ball out in the red zone and having a massive red zone target? What what we haven't seen Kyle Rudolph. What does that mean if Daniel Jones needs that security blanket to turn around a tight end that I know you, Adam, don't think that we have right now in Evan Ingram? What about those short end around plays that we're going to CJ Board that now go to Kadarius Tony running a four three forty instead of a four seven forty? What about all the explosive plays that Saquon Barkley can have out of the backfield considering we haven't seen him? It's those things that make me excited and make me believe that that type of offensive talent can help overcome a lot of these offensive line issues where defensive have just been pinning their ears back trying to get to Daniel Jones because we don't have the threat on the outside. So because of all that, I predict that the Giants are going to win this game 24-17 I'm going just underneath where things can be. I'm feeling good about it because I do think the Giants are going to get at least a few touchdowns on offense. The defense might put the the offense in a good position to score one or score one themselves. And I think that the defense has a bend, don't break mentality, only gives up a couple scores. First team to 20 wins, I got the Giants. Very interesting, man. I was literally 
almost right spot on with that. So I'll, I'll move away from it just slightly to maybe balance the books here a little bit and have some fun. I have the Giants winning this game. I called for 10 wins this season. It obviously has to start by getting a win early. Just as a caveat, I don't I don't label this as if the Giants struggle early in the season, it means all is lost because I, I do take this long-term approach of the Giants are going to be one of those as the season grows, they continue to grow as well, especially with some of the absentees from training camp. And uh, by the way, be sure to check with us uh, for our fantasy outlook on Sunday morning because it's going to include one of the new additions in Kenny Galladay for myself. Um, I was going to go. I was going to label it 24-16 based on that idea of Ben don't break defense. I'll, I'll, I'll rein it in a little bit. I'll say 20-16 to New York football giants on the premise that, that that allows for a touchdown and three field goals to be surrendered. So you can have four scoring drives for the Denver Broncos, but when you get down in the red zone and the, the plays matter the most, you stiffen up and you hold true. On the other side of it, it means we get a couple of nice successful touchdown drives, a couple of good no field goals mixed in there just for good measure. It's not going to be the prettiest one, and 20 points is not a lot by today's NFL standards. So that's really me saying we still have a long way to go this year, but you should be able to have success, lean on the running game to start, and a couple of those key deep ball accurate throws from Daniel Jones. I think that this is going to be the tone setter for the rest of the year. Not going to be perfect, but going to let you say, hey, we can start to have a little bit more confidence in this team, even if some areas are going to need some work. I love it. Both on Big Blue week one. It, I mean, it can't get any better. Week one, got a shot, and at the end of the day, Adam, we both are confident that the Giants are going to pull this one out. It's the only thing you can be. Be optimistic, friends. As I say, check in with us on Sunday morning for our fantasy outlook for this particular game. Also take a look on social uh, for our prediction on Thursday night's tilt, which will be between a division rival and the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to be back in. You're going to start to see us roll out live there on YouTube more and more often this season. And as we said, try to give you the setups each and every week for the game ahead and then come back in afterwards, hopefully glowing from the beautiful stench of victory until next time though friends as we head into the official start of the new york football giants season as andy makowitz would want need and demand the people know as always let's go big blue